it's your boy, and welcome to episode 89 of the podcast, This Is M, which you can subscribe to on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Everywhere you find good podcasts, you'll find this one. I'm holding back a sneeze. Here we go. Here it comes. Achoo! Job less. Um, yeah, episode 89 of the podcast, This Is M, which you can subscribe to on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Everywhere you find good podcasts, you'll find this one. Take a minute, rate and review us, give us five stars, type a couple sentences about why you like the podcast, and my others will also, and I think I got another one coming on. Here we go. Another one. Here it comes. Here it is. And I almost burped as I was doing that, and no sneeze came out. Okay. All right. Here we go. Now we're really going to get through this. Uh, take a minute, rate and review us, give us five stars, type a couple sentences about why you like the podcast and why others will also, and if you can think of one person in your life who you think would like the podcast, send them your favorite episode. Also, video podcasts available now at thisismpod.com, that's thisismpod.com, where you can watch me sneeze and watch my face contort and, um, and all that good stuff. If you go to the website, you'll find the latest episode, you can watch the video embedded there, or you can click through to YouTube subscribe, and all that good stuff. Now, most of you are not watching the videos. That's abundantly clear. But, um, you know, I personally like it. I wish more people looked at it. Not just because I want people to see me, but it's it's just... Excuse me. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I swear I wasn't blowing rails before this. Um, the... I, I, yeah, I, I used to listen to a lot of audio podcasts and I just don't anymore. Uh, the only way I interact with podcasts anymore is through video podcasts. So I guess, you know, when you do one thing, you assume everybody else does the same thing. Um, and you know what? Maybe it's just not true of this podcast. Maybe people hate looking at my face, so, uh, they don't like looking at the video and they prefer just listening. It's not like I'm John Merrick, the elephant man over here, but, um, Look, at the end of the day, this is just a podcast and me talking, and the video is just me sitting here talking, so uh, maybe it's not that engaging. But uh, that's how I interact with podcasts these days. And does that make it a podcast still? I don't know. But uh, I'm a big fan of the video podcast, and so uh, I don't know. I just wish there was more wind in the sails of the video podcast, but uh, be that as it may. Uh, thanks for tuning in. We are on the cusp of episode 90, which is the home stretch uh, of the 100, 100 episodes of the podcast here. Um, your boy's not running anymore. When I first started doing the podcast, I was running a whole shit ton. And so I feel like most of our conversations were about running. And I, I don't, I think even around 50, I think episode 50 was called like the half marathon episode or something like that. Um, I'm not even sure if I was still running at the time. Um, but in a way that's, you know, I hadn't thought about it this way, but as we're approaching episode 90, it does feel like the end of, of a, of a marathon of sorts. I never run a marathon. I've only run, um, uh, two half marathons in my life, but Hey, put them together. (laughs) Um, but I've also run an event called Ragnar Relay, which maybe you've heard of Ragnar, Ragnar, whatever it is. And it's this, uh, very cool running event. I think all told it's about a hundred miles 150 miles or something that you split amongst a team of runners i think it's a half a dozen people and each person takes three legs of the race and you run it continuously over the course of 48 hours so you basically have six people who commandeer a van and one person gets out and runs while the other while the van drives ahead to the stop to the next point and that person gets in the van somebody else jumps out and runs the next leg and you just stitch those together over the course of 48 hours and um uh, and you run this crazy long distance um my mind goes to that event when i ran it and uh, when i ran two half marathons because i would have this feeling sometimes and maybe it's just how you feel physically i don't know what it is and actually it actually also probably says something about my self-consciousness like how aware i am of how other people perceive me but when i would run these events I would, uh, I was in much better shape at that time, but I would like run past a lot of people and you would certainly see P and I would also prepare like this is, it's just, it, it is who I am. I, I don't say this to, to brag. It's just true of my life, which is I'm really hard on myself and I tend to think I'm not prepared until it's time to put up. And then I actually do much better than I thought I would. And, uh, I mean, I've even talked about this with my girlfriend, which is, 
uh, as it relates to this Chinese course I'm taking, I think grade-wise, I'm probably, I have to be one of the strongest in the class. During the actual class, though, you know, the information comes so quickly that in the actual class, when the teacher calls on me or it's time to, you know, speak in front of the class, I'm not always the best. And so when it's time for the test, I think, man, you really got to work hard. And I sort of over-prepare. And when it's time to actually take the test, I do well. Um, I feel that way for running events as well. And actually, it does kind of bleed into a story with Ragnar Relay, but excuse me, I don't know what's going on in this room, but uh, as soon as I sat down, there's some kind of irritant in here. It almost feels chemical, which is strange. I'm looking over, the stove is not on. I don't know what's going on. Something's uh, irritating my nose here. Um, But uh, as I was running these races, every time I would see the finish line or I knew the finish line was sort of somewhat close, I would really start to dig in. And part of it was I just wanted to finish strong. You know, I would run in, you know, about as fast as I could. I basically didn't want to leave anything. Or wait, no, how do I say it? I was about to say I didn't want to leave anything on the course. What I actually wanted to do was leave it all on the course. I didn't want to take anything with me. And I always wanted to finish strong. So, you know, for the last half mile, I don't know, whatever it was, I would really start trucking. And, uh, I remember specifically, I had this weird phenomenon when I ran this Ragnar relay, I think for my team, I was actually given the three hardest legs of the, of the run. I think they were the longest, but also like you could see the incline. They were also pretty steep. And I remember for my last run, it was like, uh, at like 11 in the morning, something like that. We were out in the middle of nowhere in like Calistoga or like somewhere Northern California wine country area. And I remember my run was just across this like desolate area. And as soon as you left wherever we were populated, like wherever the people were congregated, there was like porta potties and stuff. The minute you started running, there was just like nothing out there. And I remember, I think my last stretch was like maybe like seven miles or something like that. And I remember about halfway through, I really hit this mental space where I was like, I, you know, my whole thing running at that time was like, no water and don't stop. Like, if you can run seven miles, you can run seven miles. You don't need to take a break. You don't need to walk. I mean, if you have to, you have to, but you then you can't really say that you can run seven miles, right? You should be able to do it without stopping. And I hit this point where I really felt like I was really going very, very slow, maybe slower than I had ever really allowed myself to go. And I thought, man, I've never really felt like this before on a run. Like, I might have to stop here. But my mental game was pretty strong at that time, and so I just kept putting one foot in front of the other. And uh, sure enough, by the time I sort of, I overcame that a little bit, I was running back to what felt like something like my normal pace. And uh, when I saw the end coming, I really started trucking. And as I was coming into the finish line, though, I saw a lot of people who were just walking. You know, and it was like, I, I, I don't know what they were feeling at the time, but to me it just felt kind of nutty that at the very end here with the finish line ahead of you, that you just be content to like walk across it. Uh, and I'm not trying to sell, sell, sound self-congratulatory here. I'm actually trying to underscore the, the like how my mind works, which is you should have walked when nobody was looking. Like when you, when, you were, when you were out in the middle of nowhere and the finish line wasn't in sight with everybody waiting for you to cross it, that was the time to walk. Like you should have said, shit, while no one's looking here, I should walk so that I can come in strong at the end. Like, that's how my mind works, you know? I was like, darn, I'm, I'm kind of, in a way, I'm kind of embarrassed for them. Not that that's a good thing. That's just how I actually feel. I'm kind of embarrassed for them because they're walking when everyone can see them. My whole thing is, is like, walk when no one's looking and then when everyone's looking, start running your ass off. And uh, so I, like, like, came in probably as quick as I could. But uh, I'm really trying to talk about the disconnect between like how you feel and what your performance is um, to go back to Chinese class because when I came in across the finish line, my teammate, uh, a musician named Tom Rhodes, who you should check out, not the comedian Tom Rhodes, it's spelled the exact same way, but musician, T-O-M-R-H-O-D-E-S, you should check out his music. He said, man, you were really flying. And I said, yeah, I was really strong at the end there. And he says, no, no, no. I mean, like the whole time, like you're t- like, basically we, I crushed it. When we calculated my time, I think I averaged like a seven and a half minute mile, which is insane for me. You know, for someone who normally runs like a 10 minute mile 
or a, a nine and a half minute mile if I'm trucking, <clears throat> the idea that I averaged a seven and a half minute mile at the end was insane to me. And um, because I felt not only not only did I not feel like I was going my average speed, I felt like I was going exceptionally slow. And I remember I googled it later. Like, is that a common phenomenon? Do people who are running these long races do they get kind of like loopy where they think they're going very slow but in actual fact they're going very very fast and i think other people experience that too um but the point i'm trying to make here is as i go through life and we've talked about it here on the podcast is this tension between being hard on yourself and performing well and wondering if you know is the real jedi key perspective to life actually being kinder to yourself and you'll do even better or should you be hard on yourself? You know, we've talked about this in terms of working out. You know, I've talked about the difference between the um, David Goggins versus like this body project approach, which is the the YouTube channel I, I watch now to exercise. You know, David Goggins is like, you're a little bitch and pain is weakness leaving the body and you want to get a, give up because you're weak and like you have to forge yourself in fire to make yourself strong, et cetera, et cetera. Like you have to take ice baths and uh, take a freezing cold shower every morning and basically run until your feet fall off. Like that's how you find out how strong you are. Um, and then the body project perspective is like, hey, you're a winner by showing up and it's not about uh, perfection, it's about progress. Now, admittedly, right now in my life, that feels very sustainable. Um, I was in much better shape when I would run and tell myself, like, quit being a little bitch and, like, run and, like, it doesn't matter how much it hurts, like, just keep going. Uh, but it wasn't sustainable. Every time I run a running event, I stop running afterwards. Like, when I first started this podcast, I was preparing for a half marathon, and then I don't think I ran for, like, a year after that. Excuse me, I think... Just before I ran the half marathon, I think in like November, and then there was New Year's, and then the pandemic hit like two months later. I was already not running, but I certainly didn't run for the year following that. And I've only been working out regularly with these body project videos for like the last three months or so. And in that time, I've actually just lost over 10 pounds. For some reason, I can't push past that. I think it has to do with diet. I think I really need to change the way I'm eating. I, not that my diet is that bad, but just. I tell you, when you turn 35, there's some kind of switch that gets flipped where it's like, you can't eat shit anymore. Like, if I have, like, two slices of pizza, it's like, it just goes straight to my hips. Um, and I have to work out for, like, an entire week to lose it. So, um, at some point here in the near future, I really will have to overhaul my diet. Not just, like, go on a diet. I mean, I'm really going to have to start thinking seriously about what I eat three meals a day. Um... And I know I'm sort of, well, hey, I'm following my train of thought here. It's a stream of uh, consciousness podcast. But I was actually thinking about that and talking about it with my girlfriend. Um, we had dinner uh, last night. What did we make? Oh, we got pho. There was this place around the corner from her place that we really love. They have good pho. And uh, afterwards, she had made some zucchini bread. And also for her birthday semi-recently, her mother had sent her this ice cream from New York City ironically she had it shipped from new york city and we realized it's actually at the grocery store up the street but anyway be that as it may it's still very good ice cream but uh we were we had eaten pho we were lying in bed we were watching the prices right on youtube don't we can go into that another time but we're watching old the like from the 70s and the 80s old the prices right episodes which are actually posted with the commercials which is half the reason you want to watch this if, if, if you need something to watch on youtube Look up old Jeopardy and Price is Right episodes that have the commercials included. It is fucking phenomenal. For me, it's very nostalgic. You know, I was born in 85. So I look at the stuff from like the early 90s and the 80s. And to me, it like it takes me back. I'm sure if you're much younger than I am, you would look back and it would be like looking into a fucking time capsule from another era. Literally, it would be that. But um, I highly recommend you check it out. It's actually very engaging. Um it's also it's it's also weird to me that um you know I haven't watched TV or television in I mean I'm sure my eyes have fallen on it and actually when I've been on tour I have seen television like in motels every once in a while but I would I would I would also say that it's fair to say I have not watched television really 
for the last 14 years or so. It just hasn't been a part of my habit. I haven't had cable since I moved out to the Bay Area, and nobody I know watches television, per se, the way that we used to watch television. And yet, back when I was growing up, if you and I did watch a lot of television, but if you watched a lot of television, you were considered super lazy. And now there's something super meta, and like I, I don't know why I experience it this way, but as I'm laying in bed with a laptop on my lap in bed, watching The Price is Right with the commercials and everything, I'm essentially watching TV. That's exactly what I'm doing. But because I'm watching it on YouTube and kind of an in, like in my own mind and kind of a hipster ironic kind of way it's like i think it's totally justified like it's actually triggering some creative part of my brain like i'm looking at the lighting of commercials like everything used to be shot against these like backdrops that were like these glamour shot backdrops with like in actually in some ways probably like the light if you're watching the video podcast probably like the lighting that you see here you know maybe i would need one more sort of soft light above me or whatever but this very kind of a dynamic lighting or something. And uh, it's just all very interesting. And uh, it actually triggers some like part of my creative wellspring, you know? Um, and at the same time, I'm also transported back to like my, my when I was growing up, my father's mother lived uh, in a nursing home. And I don't have very many memories of visiting her, which is strange because I if memory serves correctly, it was maybe like 10 minutes up the road from where we lived. And yet I don't think we saw her very frequently, but I do remember being like walking into her room at this nursing home. And I can picture you walk in the door, her kitchen is to the right and there's a living room there. But there was also like a little TV room, like just past the main door. And I remember it was a very tiny room with like an old style TV. And I think there were two recliners in it. And, uh, just facing this tiny ass TV. And I remember watching the prices right in that room. And, uh, you know, there's something about watching the show now that just sort of takes me back to that place. Where am I going with all this? Something about food. Oh, my girlfriend had made like zucchini bread and, uh, her mother had sent her ice cream or something. And, uh, as we're laying there, my girlfriend says, do you want some ice cream? And I said, you know what we should do? We should actually take a piece of the zucchini bread and like put that in a bowl and just put some ice cream on top of that and eat it. And she was like, I like where your head's at. So that's exactly what we did. And I remember saying to her, like, isn't it great that as an adult, you just get to eat however you want? Like as a kid, this would have been fucking crazy if you suggested this to your family. Like nobody would let you eat this way. But as an adult, for better or worse, you get to eat whatever you want all the time. But I was saying to my girlfriend... You know, as an adult, I was, I mean, growing up, and most of my life, my diet has been fucking awful. And it's not just that I ate bad foods. I mean, the the worst part about my diet is that I've been the the pickiest eater I've ever known. Um, It doesn't mean that there aren't people who are pickier than me. And I've actually, uh, well, maybe I'll go into that story in a second. But my entire life, especially growing up, like I was never forced to eat anything I didn't want to. And so that meant growing up that I just ate like a kid for most of my young adult life until the time I was in like my mid-20s. I just ate like a kid, you know, hot dogs, pizza, chicken, um, excuse me, I have to burp here. And um, like going to a restaurant was like a nightmare. Um, And... uh you know, I remember being in my mid-20s and really thinking, like, I have to force myself to eat foods that I didn't like because I have to eat like an adult. Like, I have to become a human being at some point. And uh, especially if I'm going to, like, break... I mean, there's a lot going on here that I can't really go into to sort of contextualize all of this. But it was like, I basically lived the first quarter of my life as, you know, a, a nice and kind and well-intentioned and talented and, and sort of like a good kid. But I was also like hermetic and not very social and kind of a loner. And not that those are necessarily bad things, but I was also like not dating and like not romantic. And it was like, if I'm going to be a person of the world, a sort of uh, well, um, what's the word? Well, socialized, well, Maybe that's the word, just a well-socialized person. If I'm going to date, even, like, you have to be a human being. You even have, you just have to, like, not that you, 
you know, not that we can always change everything that we are, but you have to be able to do a, a, at least an impression of a human being for a, two hours on a date, right? You have to be able to sit with a plate of vegetables in front of you and eat it and not grimace the entire time, <laughs> like essentially. So I had to sort of force myself to become that person. Um, and where am I going with this? I, w- I don't know. I'm talking about needing to overhaul my diet. I think I'm trying to say even then after that, I mean, I've, I've eaten uh, relatively well in the, I mean, I'm not 50 yet, but I was going to say the second quarter of my life, but you know what I mean, in this uh, sort of next big chapter of my life. And yet, I probably certainly eat worse than a lot of adults my age, and I've never really had to pay for it. Um, But uh, on a long enough timeline, we all hit that thing, like most things in our life. Adults always tell you, hey, sooner or later, X, Y, Z, and we all think, yeah, 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 not me, old timer. I'm telling you, man, it's no bullshit. You hit 35, you look at a piece of pizza, you gain weight. So um, at some point, it's gonna. I'm going to have to take the next step, not just expanding my diet, which I think is pretty robust now. Not not really robust, but I would say comparatively, def- de- compared to what it used to be, it's absolutely, it's like a complete 180. But uh, I definitely need, pretty soon it's going to be time to see a nutritionist. You know, I f- Since I've been working out regularly, I feel a lot better. Um, I feel a lot better in my body, and yet, oh God, actually, I'm probably thinking about this. Uh, we have a wedding to go to in a week. We're going to my girlfriend's, a distant family member. I mean, she has like, you know, 5,000 people in her family. Um, we're going to one of her family members' weddings on Saturday, and I have two suits. I have my normal suit. I had another suit that I bought when I started gaining weight, which my girlfriend lovingly calls my fat suit, which makes me feel awesome and uh you know for the last couple of weeks she's like hey you need to try on your suit make sure it fits and i'm like yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. and i've been putting it off putting it off and i think i've been putting it off because i i don't want it to not fit i don't want to feel that shame right so like like everything we you know we always give people a hard time for being lazy or procrastinating but the reason they're doing it is because there's something about facing that or doing the thing that brings up some feeling in them that they're trying to avoid. And not that that makes it okay, but that's really what we need to be sensitive to. And uh, so I tried on the suit, and uh, I'm so happy I could get into it. Um, it doesn't technically fit, like it's still... You know what I'm talking... You know that you know that feeling where, like, it fits, but it's not a comfortable fit? Like, if I wore this out, I would feel super self-conscious for the entire time that I'm out there. Um... So I've decided it's great that I've lost like a little over 10 pounds now, but I need to lose like 10 more Uh, for sure just to feel comfortable in my clothes. And uh, I'm very self-conscious. I don't want to say I'm vain because I don't think that's the right word for it. I think I'm just self-conscious. But just like, you know, there's, I've had different times in my life. I mean, I would say most recently I've I've been very out of shape and, and, and frankly overweight but I've also been, I spent a lot of my time unhealthy, you know, being overweight. I don't know that I ever call myself fat per se, but, you know, 10 to 20 pounds overweight for sure at different times in my life. But I've also been grossly underweight. And I was actually talking about this with my girlfriend. And actually, there's better stories to be talking about but um, from the weekend. But who knows? The mind goes where it goes. But I remember... Um, I was in the car with my girlfriend yesterday. We were running a bunch of errands. Maybe uh, there's some cool stories to tell you from that, so we'll see if we get to them. But I remember saying something somehow like weighing yourself on a scale came up, and I said, oh, yeah, I've lost uh, X number of pounds, and I hope to lose X more. And um, and she said something about like, oh, I haven't – I mean, my girlfriend's very diminutive. I think she weighs maybe 100 pounds. And uh, she's also very tiny. And uh, – uh, you know, I told her, I said, I used to weigh myself every day. Like before she knew me when I was running a lot, I used to weigh myself every day. And the reason I did that was not just because I was obsessed with my weight, which I think I was, but I was actually, I think for a lot of my life, I've been body dysmorphic. And I don't say that lightly. Um, and I don't think I have, I don't think I'm body dysmorphic, body dysmorphic the way you know, some people truly are. Like, there are people who are anorexic and real thin. They look like they look like people you see in a concentration camp, and they believe that they're morbidly obese. Um, 
so it's a spectrum. But I know that there have been times where when I'm overweight, I don't think I'm, a, I, I'm as overweight as I am until I step on a scale. And I think a lot of us can relate to that. But even when I've been skinny, I didn't realize how skinny I was. I mean, I look back on, you know, I think the skinniest I ever was in my adult life, just about the time I was like 30, 31, I think I was down to like 132, it may even have been like 128 at one point, but it was like 132. Now, it's weird because when you look at someone's BMI, or if you ever look at like a BMI calculator, you'll type in your weight. And most people are are floored that they're technically morbidly obese according to BMI. And I know that BMI is not a very um, um, reputable system anymore. But it's like, I, when I, I think if I type those weights in, I don't think it looks very monstrous. But when I think back to that period of my life, I was like 132, maybe even a little bit lighter. But I did not feel good in my body. I felt weak. I felt faint. Like I remember one time... Uh, I used to go up to this flea market up the street from my house all the time. And I remember just feeling like walking up there one time in the heat. It was like the middle of summer. The sort of sun was out and I was walking up there and I remember feeling faint. And I remember uh, I actually had a doctor's appointment. And I remember telling the doctor, I said, you know, I really feel like underweight. Like I don't feel like my, I I just don't feel like I'm at a healthy weight. And uh, he kind of said something important, which was kind of, I I remember years ago, I had a friend who was like a personal trainer who said this. And I don't remember the context of when he said it, but he said, it's really all about how you feel. You know, it's, it's nice to have a good weight that sounds good or to have a certain waist size or you want to fit in a size X or whatever it is. But the truth is, is that we all have an ideal weight that we sort of can locate based on how we feel. And his point at the time was actually whether you're too heavy or too big. That's really not for other people to decide. And he wasn't talking about how you feel psychologically. Like what I'm saying is, is there are many times in my life where my weight was just fine. I didn't look bad. You know, I wasn't overweight. I wasn't whatever, but I wanted to lose weight because I wanted to fit in a size X or I wanted the scale to show whatever. But the real, the real thing you should be dialing into is how you feel. And even though my weight was low and I was fitting into clothes I wanted to, my body was like not healthy. My body was saying like, this is not a good weight for you. So even though you don't want the scale to read whatever it is, it's like to, to be healthy in your body, to, to function properly, it was like you need to gain about 10 pounds. And I can say the, conversely the same amount is true, especially now in this culture. I mean, you know, there are people, you know, whatever is beautiful and whatever you are and yada, 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 that's, that's fine. I'm not necessarily knocking that. But you have to be honest with yourself about how you feel. It doesn't matter if the culture is telling you you're beautiful. It's not even about beauty, honestly, is what I'm really saying. But, you know, it's about how you feel in your body. And it doesn't matter if people are trying to you know, convince you not to lose weight or whatever. It's like, when you go about your life, like, do you feel comfortable in the clothes that you're wearing? Do you feel, and I'm saying self-conscious, but I, I, maybe I'm not articulating this very clearly. But I think at the end of the day, your fitness goals should be how you feel in yourself. And when I work out regularly, when I do this body project stuff, like four or five times a week, I just feel better. I have more energy. I have, uh, you know, life is just better. And the, even the days that I don't work out, I just feel it. You know, I feel a little bit more sluggish. Or the weeks I don't work, like, like uh, the other week, I only worked out like twice. And it was a harder week. Sure, there was a lot of like stress and stuff going on. There was a lot of uh, schoolwork that needed to get done. There was a lot of work work that needed to get done. Um, and maybe even some personal things, frankly. But when you're not being active, it just makes those things... I can't say it's two by or twice as hard, but it makes them meaningfully more difficult. You know, it just is the case that we're beings that need to move. We need to be active. We need to, you know, uh, platitudes are, I don't like platitudes, but you know, there's something to be said, like you should break a sweat every day. It doesn't mean you need to run six miles. Um, but you should get your heart rate up a little bit every day. You know, and I I think whether it's for you, that may be walking like some people are, you know, just going for a good long walk, you know, 
you'll get your armpits sweaty. <laughs> you know what I mean? It depends on where your fitness is at, but just doing a little bit every day is good. And where am I going with all this? Because your, your, your boy is not a fitness expert. Um, I'm trying to talk about feeling good in your body. Um, yeah, maybe I'm trying to say I'm trying to find this medium where I, I know for myself I still need to lose 10 pounds just to like be healthy. But even that is still going to be, you know, 10, 15 pounds heavier from where I think in my mind, I really think I should be. But it's about finding that compromise between what is your vanity asking of you? What is the societal pressure asking of you? And then really what is in your best interest? Because, and this is what I mean by pushing yourself with running so much, when I was running a lot, that was not sustainable. You know, every time I would run an event, I stopped running afterwards. And then it was because I wasn't, I wasn't doing it because I enjoyed it. You know, it was like I could muster this, you know, that David Goggins type, you know, quit being a little bitch and get your shit together and pain is weakness leaving the body, you know, and, and that could get you to do some pretty cool stuff for a finite amount of time. But for me, it's not sustainable. And I, I wrestle with this, you know, because there's a part of me, if you're in that mindset that you, you look at those periods where you're not running and you think that you're being weak, right? This old you that you've been, I mean, and this goes into larger areas of my life as well, which, you know, if you've listened to this podcast, you're aware of, but if we're just looking at running, you think I'm out of shape, I'm weak and I'm lazy and I'm eating the wrong things and I'm doing it because I'm a glutton and I'm lazy and I, whatever, whatever, whatever. I need to be hard on myself. I need to force myself to do things I don't want to do because it's good for me. And so you do that and you see the you see the benefits of it. You see yourself losing weight and you think, yeah, more of this. Like this is the key, right? It's about being hard on yourself. And then if you were to ever stop do it, if you ever did I say that right? If you ever if you ever stop doing that, <clears throat> it makes perfect sense that you would think, oh, here's the old me coming back. The person I've been trying to run away from or try to beat out of myself for you know, this past period of time, here it is again, in all of its glory, and I'm gluttonous, and I'm lazy. And while I think some of that is true, right? So we, many of us have bad habits, we simply have to, to break for ourselves. I also try to be kinder on myself. And I, and I try to think, what are those breaks telling me? Well, there's something about this I don't like, you know, I, I don't like being hard on myself. And I think in our in our culture and whatever, we, we really like, we lionize and glorify these people who are just ruthless with themselves. And they usually turn around and talk to the world from this like guru perspective of like, like David Goggins, you got to be hard on yourself and every day I go hard and stay strong and yada, yada, yada. But I think many of us feel, and it's not just because we're lazy, I don't think. But there's many of us who just feel like there's something, there's some motor behind that that is actually kind of sad. Like there's this thing, I'm, and we all know people like this, but there's some people who like just like are crazy athletes who we know, like, you know, like I, I work with someone like this who like runs like, you know, nine to 12 miles a day. And it's like, you want to tap them on the shoulder and say, uh, hey, uh, what are you running from? <laughs> you know? If you stop, what feeling will you feel that you don't want to feel? Like, if you ever stop running, your feelings will catch up to you. It's that kind of vibe. It's that sort of, uh, what's the actress's name from American Beauty? Kevin Spacey's wife, the real estate agent. And Bancroft? Is that who it is? I don't know. Uh, but we all know, we all know people like this. And yet, man, as I'm thinking about this, I'm t well, I'm trying to think if I should actually tell you a story first. This is very forced and not organic. I, I probably should just follow my train of thought. But uh, a second ago, I was saying I had kind of an interesting day with my girlfriend. She's had this uh, bed frame since we dated. This piece of shit Ikea bed frame, which is just like, you know, if you have one, you know the deal. It's just wood particle board that like, comes together and it's held together by wooden dowels and some shitty screws. And apparently she had this frame at another place she lived at before she and I dated, but it was moved to her place. And ever since I've met her, 
it's been this rickety piece of shit that every time you move on it, the thing fucking creaks. And if you look at it, it's just a piece of garbage. It's, it, it looks like it, it should collapse at any moment. We've been together for almost five years now and it hasn't. God knows how. And, uh, so finally I told her, I was like, just, you got to get a new fucking bed frame. And she was like, okay, she waffled. She looked at it for weeks. And I, I don't know if we actually talked about this, but in some ways, the way that she has shopped for this bed frame, I think speaks volumes about the differences between us. I would say she's dedicated like three or four full nights when I've been over there. I've been on one laptop. She's been on the other. I'm like doing homework or watching Jeopardy or The Price is Right while she's shopping for a bed frame. And she's just spending hours looking at different, like, like looking at the same bed frames over and over again, comparing them and looking at reviews. And she's like, what do you think of this one? What do you think? And I'm like, I would have made the decision within 20 fucking minutes and whatever it was, I would have lived with. First of all, whatever you buy is better than what you have. And also it doesn't really fucking matter. Like you'll go to Ikea you're going to spend 80, 90, 120, whatever it is on a bed frame, and you're just going to get it, and that's going to be your life. Like, just make the decision for yourself. You know, I make decisions very intuitively. And I, and I think it's because I have, <laughs> I consider myself to have very good judgment. Meaning, I make a decision because I it feels like the right decision at the time. You know, my girlfriend needs Every possible bit of information that's conceivably available surrounding a single topic needs to digest all of it and then make the best decision. Um, And if you listen to this podcast and you happen to work that way, you think, of course, that's how you do things. But my whole thing is, it's like, why? You don't need every available bit of information to make a good decision. There's so many variables that that are only pertinent to you that you are aware of that most of us have the power to make a decision in in any moment that is the, quote, right decision for us because it speaks to us at that time. And because you will never have a basis of comparison, there is no way to fucking tell if it would have been different. Every single place I've ever lived at was pretty much the first place I fucking saw that was available. I think there was one time I, I went to a viewing of an apartment and I just saw it and said, this is not for me. I, I was there for two seconds. I didn't even, you know, if you live in the Bay Area, New York City this way, any any competitive housing market, when you want to look for an apartment, you're, gen- you're very rarely are you the only person to see it. You will be standing in a queue of 25 other people and the tenant is just taking people in one by one, right? And everybody's just standing around there fucking t- t- before it was smartphones, just twiddling your fucking thumbs waiting to see this apartment that every single person there is vying for. Some people show up with like chocolate and gifts, like anything to give them an edge over the other people who are looking at the place. It's like, I remember there was this young, pretty girl who had like gone in a couple people ahead of us and she like leaves with the tenant and they're just laughing. And all of us in line are just like, Oh fuck, he's totally going to pick the hot chick to move into this cottage in his backyard, whatever. Um, So anyway, the point is I saw one place like that, didn't want to fucking live there anyway. Every other place I lived at was the first place I looked at. I saw the photos on Craigslist or whatever it was, and it was available. And I already liked it by seeing the pictures. I saw it in person, and it was just fine, and it was available, and they gave it to me. That simple. I didn't need to see 10 other, 15 other places, you know? In some ways, you kind of do yourself a disservice by shopping around that frequently, right? If something's available and you like it, just go with it until it doesn't work. You know, you're not marrying it. You can always move out. You signed a six-month-year lease. I've had shitty apartments. Once the le- when the lease was up, I fucking went somewhere else. Um, anyway, what am I saying? Yeah, that was my girlfriend's thing with a bed frame. And why are we... Oh, yeah, I was going to tell you a fucking story. Um, so anyway, it's, she gets this bed frame. We have to go to Ikea to pick it up. She orders it the day before. We have to pick it up the next day. And we break down her current bed frame. Good fucking riddance. And we throw everything into my truck. And we have to go to, uh, in Berkeley, they call it the transfer station. It's basically the dump. And uh, I used to go to this place to drop off my recycling. The recycling center is like right next to it. And uh, 
you're never going to be able to picture this, but it's on like a little side street. There's like a little road leading to it off a main road. And as we get off the freeway and are driving there, I'm about to turn onto the, the street that I know the recycling center and the transfer station to be on. There was a queue of traffic. Not only, you know, the transfer station is probably like a quarter mile down the road. The line is all the way backed up to the main intersection and around the corner and about two blocks up the main road. Now, that's very hard for you to picture. Just trust me, it's a very long line to the transfer center. And uh, as soon as I see it, my first impulse is like, fuck this, like, just go home, right? And I start driving away, and I kind of, and I'm waffling in my mind, like, dude, I don't want to fucking do this. But then you think, you have a disassembled old bed frame in the back of your truck. You need to get rid of this before you get the new bed frame. It, It simply has to happen. If you are going to get the new bed frame today, you have to get rid of the bed frame that's in the back of your truck. And so like a lot of things in life that you don't want to do, you just think, fuck it. Just the, the sooner you start doing it, the sooner it will be over. Flip a bitch, get in line. It takes us about 40 minutes just to get to the entranceway in bumper to buffer, bumper traffic that's around the corner of this side street and up this main street. Basically, we're taking up an entire lane of traffic. It's Saturday. The thing is about to close the next day, so everybody's fucking taking their loads, I guess. It takes about 40 minutes to get to the very cusp of entering this facility. And as you get there, I'm not sure if this is in other places, but especially in the Bay Area, on roads, sometimes you have these painted areas that say, keep clear, because there's some traffic tends to get stopped there, and yet there are driveways that people need to get out of or whatever. So there is interstitially... As you at once you enter this side road and as you approach the the transfer center, there's these little spots that say "Keep clear and I have this huge truck behind me, but I'm observing these keep clear signs, and all of a sudden, right as we're about to enter this facility, we're stopped. this big ass truck just pulls in right behind me, and I'm like, "What the fuck is this guy doing?" And I hear a couple honks behind me, but clearly. Behind me is this keep clear thing, which the truck behind me is observing because people may need to get in and out of this driveway that sort of were, could be parked in front of. And this car who had just turned onto the side street with stuff for the dump saw the huge queue, not only going up the side street that we were on that they just drove alongside, but clearly saw the queue that went around the block and up the major street. And they just cut through everybody, turned left and just went in right behind me. Now, that's fucking crazy, but the craziest part about it is on our drive over there, I witnessed this three fucking times in different capacities. As we're driving there on this, you know, major road before the inter- the before we hit the interstate, there's some fucking car just pulled off on the phone with their hazards on ha- blocking half a lane of traffic. And I said, what the fuck's wrong with people? And then as we get onto the freeway, you know, there's this on-ramp onto the freeway where they have a traffic light to sort of uh, mitigate the flood of traffic that enters the freeway, right? You have to stop at the red light and they just give, they, the green, it turns green like every 15 seconds, right? And for every green, one car gets to go. And we're all queued up before the light. There's maybe 30 cars. And we're all going, you know, every 15 seconds another car, is go, uh, car goes. And to the right of us is... Uh, you know, uh, what do you call it? A shoulder of sorts. This fucking van just comes down and cuts in front of everybody and just blows through the light and hits the freeway. And once they did it, somebody else followed suit, pulled out like two cars in front of me and did the same thing and passed up like 30 cars. And I'm like, what the, what the fuck is wrong with people? Like, can you, can you, can you believe that some people just go through life and say, fuck it. I'm never going to see these people again. I'm just going to do what I want not even need to do, probably, I want to do, because fuck these people, they're just lemmings. It's like that kind of Trump mentality, where it's like everybody else is trying to live by the rules. You know what the smart person does is they say, fuck the rules. Like if you watch Apocalypse Now, there's this great monologue with Colonel, uh, it's someone talking about, actually, I think it's Colonel Kurtz actually says it, Marlon Brando's character. He talks about he knew that the Viet Cong was going to win the war because as soon as he got there, he saw them, that they had slaughtered their own village. Actually, maybe it was Cambodians. But the point is, is that it's some foe that he's facing who lives by a completely different set of rules. And he knew they were going to win because they had slaughtered a village of their own people. And he says very poignantly, 
that's when I realized they had the will to do what the other guy wouldn't. And that's how people look at life. Like sometimes they, they think they're doing like they're smart because they're saying fuck you to the rules. Now, I think in some contexts that could be true. I think there are many arbitrary rules that people hold themselves against that actually maybe the real Jedi perspective is just circumnavigating all that. But I'm talking about like the social polite rules. Like, yeah, waiting in line at the grocery store fucking sucks. But that's what you do. Like you should actually, I think David Foster Wallace has a pretty interesting speech about that called This Is Water. Like there's plenty of things in life that suck that we just all have to do. And actually, if you use that time to your advantage, it can actually be an exercise in sort of mindful meditation, right? Like, hey, you're stuck in traffic. Hey, this is what I'm doing. How can I use this time best for my, considering this is what has to happen, how can I use this time wisely? But anyway, so I'm seeing these like, very stark moments of like human selfishness just on display. And I've talked about this. There's nothing like I, again, back to being self-conscious, like I, I care deeply what people think about me clearly. And the idea that somebody could just say, yeah, fuck you all. I'm just going to, I'm just going to cut in front of you. I it just, it, I just, I'm not wired that way. I care way too much what these people think about me. And, and PS, it's the wrong thing to do. Uh, yeah, it's the wrong thing to do. So anyway, I see all these people doing that. I'm queued up. I've been waiting for 40 minutes. The people behind me have been waiting for equally as long. And this fucking dude with a truck full of stuff uh, just pulls in behind me. And it's like, dude, what did you think was going to happen? Did you think that it, it's this is different than just blowing past a room full of people and disappearing off into the interstate and losing yourself amongst the crowd? You just pulled into a, a stopped queue ahead of 40 other cars and you're stopped. Did you think that people were just going to be like, oh, shucks, he got us fuck no I got out of my car and I look at this guy and I say what the fuck man and he's like oh I didn't see what was going on I was like I don't give a fuck get the fuck out of here and the dude in the big truck behind him now gets out and says what the fuck are you doing man and then the guy from the truck behind him gets out and that guy was fucking scary and when that guy got out and started saying what the fuck are you doing the guy was like okay i'm gonna get out of here and it's like yeah and it's kind of funny because my girlfriend said like earlier she's kind of breaking my balls because as we're driving past this other guy and he sort of pulls out and just sort of blows past people i give him a honk like a fuck you honk as he's blowing past everybody driving on the shoulder my girlfriend was like what was the point of honking him It's not going to impact his behavior. And I said, oh, I know that. It's to shame him. Now, of course, it's a fool's errand because the type of person whose mentality is, oh, fuck these people. I'm just going to blow past them. Of course, honking my horn is not going to do anything. But it's the only tool I have to say, hey, I see you. I see the fucked up thing you're doing and fuck me. No, Fuck you. Okay, anyway, now we're getting too dramatic. But the point is, is that that it, it's sort of interesting the way these things happen sort of cosmically when you think about it, because that was in a time where I couldn't do anything. And actually, when you really think about it, if this thing really played out to its full proportions, what the fuck was I actually going to do about this guy in the truck behind me? Was I going to fight him? Uh, no, the guy would have fucking killed me. But I, you know, you don't just take this shit lying down. Thankfully, the other people came to my aid. And I'm, I'm hoping actually seeing the, me, the little guy, hop out of my car gave them the courage to say, hey, man, yeah, we got to tell this guy to go fuck himself. I can't let this little guy be the only one who fucking stands up to this guy. But it was like, fuck that guy. Like, you can't just do what you want and think, you know, you can't, you're doing something so aberrant and antisocial that a lot of times when this stuff happens, people just sort of like demure, right? And, and, People kind of bank on that sometimes. Like, one time, my girlfriend and I 
were in downtown Oakland in the uptown area. <laughs> Sorry, I should. I first. Whoa, I just saw a bubble floating in front of me, and the only place it could have come from is my nose. So I don't know if that was caught on camera, but uh, I'm a I'm a human uh, 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 bubble blower. I was going to say, you know that's going to be the fucking title of the episode, but we got to come up with something better than that. We can't just call this the human bu- bubble blower episode, can we? Let's try to be more creative than that. Let's see if we can land on something else. Um, what the fuck was I talking about? Uh, justice. This guy. The little guy standing up. Oh, man. Well... Of course it had to happen that way. I was onto something and now my, my mind is completely fucking blank. Wow. Dude, I don't think we've ever fallen off a cliff so fast on this fucking show before. Oof. Shaming people. Dude, the worst part is I'm going to go back and hear this and think, God, man, you should have just hopped. You were right there. You were about to make a fucking great point and you completely fucking lost it. (sighs) Dude, this podcast is like jazz, dude. It is what it is. You just step out on a ledge and you fucking go where you go. And yeah, sometimes you fall on your fucking face. It is what it is. And now I'm stuck. There's a part of me that deeply wants to go back and try to pick up where I was. But then there's the part that's like, hey, you got to play it as it lays. You fucking uh, drove the ball into a fucking sand dune. Even if it takes you nine strokes to get out, that's where the fucking ball is. You can't just pick it up and put it back where you thought it was going to lay or where it should have been. Although I guess you do that with friends sometimes, huh? I never played golf. But I do think like the friendly thing is, you know, your friend, his ball lands in a sand trap, let him throw him back onto the fairway. Let him, uh, let him, uh, add a stroke, let him fucking hit from there, right? Anyway. Shaming people. Yeah, I think I was just saying, you know, the guy drives by me, I honk, my girlfriend says, well, why, why honk at him? Yeah, well, fuck him. That's why. This person pulls in behind you, and it's like, yeah, dude, fuck you, you can't do that. And actually, it's a weird thing, too, because it's like, once I got back in the car, I thought, like, I oh, I remember the story I was about to tell you, because both are this way, and it actually, uh, sorry, uh, clearly uh, that bubble did come from my nose, because some, something's itching right now. But the point is... Um, People, this is where I was, people go through life and do things that are aberrant and antisocial because they know that people demure and people are kind of scared and also people just don't want to get into it, you know? Like someone will act fucking crazy in public and very few times will people just, someone will just call someone out on their behavior. Now, once someone does, you see this in like viral videos all the time, someone's doing something stupid or I hate this term but you know what I mean when I say it. Someone's being a Karen. And it's only once one person says something that everybody starts piling on and acts like a fucking hero. When everybody was really just staring into their phones or filming shit, not saying shit. And once someone actually does something, then everybody starts to fucking do something because they want to be the hero. Um, But that's what people do. They do crazy shit that nobody in their right mind would do because they're basically like, you know, this is another cliche word, but they're like, they're bullies. You know, and it just takes someone calling them on their bullshit to go, you're right. And you don't need to like be like, I'm going to kick your ass. Like once I got back in the car, you know, the third guy who got out of his truck and was yelling and screaming. I mean, this guy, this is a broad brush and a huge jump. This dude had a fucking criminal record. I can fucking tell you that. And he was basically like, he's going to rip this guy's fucking head off. And that was effective. It was also the wrong thing to do. Because I do believe in like the force of moral virtue. And I'm not saying it's going to work with everybody. But I do think, you know, me getting out of the car and approaching that guy, he knew he was wrong. And I, I, it, it takes a very certain type of sociopath 
when they're faced with someone who's just coming at them with the force of moral conviction to persist. They may not concede that they were wrong, but they, you know, if they're met with enough like moral resistance, they will do something else. And this is the perfect fucking example. Uh, it's also why people do crazy things. But my girlfriend and I probably like three years ago, we were in uh, downtown Oakland in the uptown area of Oakland. And um, if you know the area, <clears throat> excuse me, this is kind of near Legionnaire and um, uh, the Fox Theater in Oakland, that kind of area. And we're walking down, it's either Telegraph, I think it was Telegraph. We're walking down Telegraph, and there are eight, uh, six to eight young kids. I, I want to say they're 18 or something to make me feel a little bit tougher, but the truth, they, they could have been like 16, 17, I don't know, but there was like eight of them. And as I'm walking with my girlfriend, they are about a block ahead of us. And there's another couple about 30 feet in front of us who are walking ahead. And as they're walking, you can just tell from the side of these guys that they're up to no fucking good. Like they are out looking for trouble. They just are antagonism from a mile away. And as the guy and girl who are 30 feet in front of us walk past them, one of them just leans over to the girl and as loud as he can just screams in her ear. Just goes, ah! Complete, just to antagonize her. Because he knows it's a group of uh, ne'er-do-wells who nobody in their right mind would ever stand up to. And of course, she's victimized and hates them. But And the guy who is with her, I can see on his face, he is completely emasculated and castrated because he can't do shit. He wants to, but he knows it's fucking suicide. And the reason this is a colorful example is because this is, this is I mean, is it too cliche or obvious to say this is how bullies operate? They feel strong because they know you're not going to do anything. right? You're not going to do anything. The consequences would be too great. And in fact, that's what they want. They want you to do something, you know? Um, so as soon as I see this, I'm like, oh, fuck. Because what am I going to do? I mean, I guess I could cross the street, but I'm not going to do that. I'm thinking, well, we're about to get it. And as we're walking and they look at me, uh, I, you know, I don't blink. I don't show that I'm afraid. I just keep walking. And then they approach me and they sort of circle around us. And I sort of push my girlfriend off to the side and they're all around me. And I don't really remember what they're saying. But at some point they start like reaching into my pockets. Like I had this like jacket that I used to wear all the time. And at that point, I just say no. And I bat their hands away, and I t- have my arm around my girlfriend, and I start walking away from her. And I don't know how it happens necessarily, but one of the guys, their fucking ringleader, he starts antagonizing me. And he doesn't, like, put his hands on me. And I can't really describe how this is happening, but I'm walking away from them. But I don't break eye contact with him. And I'm just looking at him with my, like, you know, my face is sort of turned over my shoulder. And he just starts swinging at me. And I don't flinch. And I don't, like, make a defensive posture. I just keep the pace that I'm at because I know he's not trying to punch me. I just, I see it. He's swinging at me and his fist is flying, like, inches from my nose. He's not trying to punch me. He basically wants me to respond. He wants to see if I'm going to be afraid or if I'm going to strike back. He's trying to provoke me because if I respond, then he has every excuse and his friends have every excuse they need to, to jump me, which is basically what they want. They're looking for trouble. And I don't give it to them. And, you know, it sounds like a weird thing to say, and I can never prove this to anybody. I felt awful afterwards. But I'm very happy, I'm proud of how I handled that situation. And the thing I'm trying to articulate here is, I think some of it comes from, if you, you know, if you've had maybe a somewhat traumatic background. And I would qualify what I mean by that word very specifically, but I just mean... I'm the type of person who, when shit goes crazy, I actually become very focused. It's why I've responded well in certain high-stress situations I've experienced in my life. Um, uh, It's why I'm a great crisis counselor. Things that other people would feel very overwhelmed by in the moment, I actually, my thinking becomes very clear. And I, I tend to make 
very good decisions in that moment. And I'm not thinking about it as at the time. It's just what I'm doing. It's only after I exit that situation that I start to feel the adrenaline. So once I was removed from that situation and in the car after this encounter with these guys on the street, that's when my heart started racing. And I was angry for the rest of the night. It really affected my girlfriend and I for the rest of the night where I just felt angry. And I just kept, it was like intrusive, my thoughts about this group of kids and like what I wish I could have done and what I wish I would have said. Um, uh, Part of it was just being angry, but it was also this sense of like injustice, right? I remember talking about this instance one time with uh, someone who lived in my girlfriend's building who talked shit to me on on the stairs and basically tried to goad me into an altercation. And I'm very happy with how I handled that situation because it, it completely, um, um, deactivated what's the word not detonated but the opposite of that dismantled there's something like that it dismantled the 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 situation de-escalated something like that that's the dude who fucking got shot by the way you remember the story of the the gunfire in my girlfriend's apartment building the dude getting shot in her hallway it was that guy not surprisingly and in some ways thankfully only because the guy's living i'm saying that but clearly the guy had it coming uh, on some level um But that's how I remember feeling in that moment, too. This guy pulls in behind us, and before I can even really think about it, I'm outside of my car, you know, trying to shame this guy into doing the right thing. Thankfully, he did. Um, What am I trying to say with all this? I don't know. I'm basically seeing that we're sort of up against our time here and trying to find some way to summarize everything I've been saying. And, uh, of course, this is one of the few weeks recently that I've prepared (laughs) things to talk about and didn't talk about any of them. So... Um, there's a part of me that wants to tell you what that was, but I'm not. Maybe we'll just get to it uh, next time. The only thing I will say, as I'm thinking about this now, and this is just coming to me as I'm thinking about shaming people. Maybe this is too big of a, a topic to get into here. But for some reason, I'm thinking about... I'm thinking about as I go through life, there's a lot of things that anger me. And there's things that anger me like this, which is someone's doing clearly the wrong thing. But what is very hard for me to communicate to my girlfriend and to other people and basically makes me look like a, like a, I think like a dick to a lot of people. And I think it's why people who don't like this podcast, it's very easy for them to think of me as like an alt-right conservative person, which I'm not at all. If, it, if you know me, I think if you even have two brain cells to rub, get, rub together and you listen to this podcast, that's not who I am. But I feel like I have a certain discernment that if you're on either side of the political spectrum, like people just don't have... There are people on the far left who have no critical thinking capacity, and there are people on the far right who seem to have no critical thinking capacity either. Um, and part of that is because people think of the world in terms of black and white. And when I tell a story about this, it's very easy when we look at other people's actions to see the, I'm thinking about this in kind of like a, a, like a quasi-religious context, right? But it's very easy to see the sin in sin. But the part where people start thinking of you as like a anti-social justice uh, slash uh, alt-right conservative person is what is insane to me and what is actually the bane of my existence these days. And what I, you know, I spend time in therapy thinking like, am I just fucking nuts? And like, am I just like a, like, do I need to like be completely rewired? It is easy to see the sin in sin. What is very, very difficult for many people clearly is to see the sin. And I say, I'm using this in quotes here, the sin in self-righteousness you know, there there is a type of moral, what people parade as moral virtue, that to me is equally morally vacuous, that people, you know, champion themselves with and celebrate themselves for, that to me is also a form of, uh, like, intellectual dishonesty and bankruptness. Um, so anyway, that was a very, that was a very, um, I don't know, ponderous way to end the podcast here. But we do have to end. And so maybe we'll, uh, maybe I'll marry you on that thought and uh, we will pick it up next week. Um, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, you can at Apple Podcast and uh, Spotify. Uh, take a minute, rate and review us, give us five stars, type a couple sentences about why you like the podcast and why others might also. And also think of one person in your life who you think would like the show and send them your favorite episode. 
Also, video podcast available now at thisismpod.com. That's thisismpod.com. Watch the latest episode embedded in the website or click through and watch it on YouTube where you can subscribe and comment and do all the things that nobody's doing. But um, be that as it may, I appreciate you listening. I appreciate you listening if you've been here since day one. I appreciate you listening if you've been here since last week or if this is your first time listening. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, We are just on the cusp of our last 10 episodes before 100 And I got to tell you, I'm enjoying the podcast. In the last few weeks, I'm enjoying it as much as ever. So look, it's up and down. It's a roller coaster ride. It's jazz. It's stream of consciousness. It is what it is. Um, But uh, I've enjoyed it lately, and it's been fun. And uh, I always tell myself, like, there's other things to do. But uh, the last three or four episodes, I've just sort of sat down here and really enjoyed it. So thank you for listening. I hope you're enjoying it as well. And uh, I look forward to seeing you next week. Until then, thank you for listening. Thank you for your time. And ciao. My stomach just growled for now. <laughs>